internets. You're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the CombatJackShow.com. And as we usually say on the Combat Jack Show, this portion of the show has been sponsored and brought to you by Bevel, the superior shaving system. Listen, I'm going to go into my spiel later, but it's the best shaving system on the market for people that have coarse and curly hair. Go to GetBevel.com, G-E-T-B-E-V-E-L.com. Punch in the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T, that's me, for 20% off all your purchases and services. That's GetBevel.com. Use the promo code COMBAT, C-O-M-B-A-T. And now back to the show. Yo, what's up? This is Trill OG Bumby, Rebel UGK for life. This is a loudspeakers production, understand? Internet, you're tuned into the Combat Jack Show, the Combat Jack Show. Com. What's up, Premium P? What's going on, Combat? Man, this is the post-All-Star Weekend, man. I thought we might not could make it today, man. Well, listen, we survived through it. Yo, man, last Thursday, man, I almost drank my kidney out. <laughs> like, I couldn't. You know, I'm not young anymore, man. It's, it was so hard to recover. It took me up until this morning. Like, I slept till 2 o'clock in the afternoon just to recover, man. We hit the city, and we went to uh, party after party after party. party. We've seen Sh- a lot of the internets out there. Shout out to New York City, and shout out to everybody that came in town, man. And, you know, it was a beautiful thing. And this this episode, man, I'm really happy, man, because, you know, not only do we have a returning, recurring guest on the show, mm-hmm. but we also have people in the studio. From like, We got H-Town in the building. Yeah. We got how we got you. It's Houston, right? Yeah. Because I'm, I'm thinking New York. It's we, not Houston. It's not Houston. It's not Houston. Houston. We, got, we got Houston, Texas. We got a Houstonian. We got we got a trill gladiator. Yes, sir. In the building. Mm-hmm. Listen, internet. I love to welcome to the Combat Jack Show, Mr. Bun B. This is like your fourth time on the show. At least. Yes, your, your fourth time. And Dr. Anthony Pin. Glad to be with you. Yes. Now you gentlemen are doing something really interesting. You guys uh, both teach at Rice University. Yes. And you have a course called uh, Hip Hop and Religion. Yeah. And you guys have been teaching this course at Rice University since 2011. That's correct. And now yeah, you guys yeah. are taking it where? It's online for free. Really? Online for free. It's been so successful on campus. We cap it at 200. It has gone extremely well. But we were getting email and phone calls from folks outside of Houston, outside of Texas, wanting to take the class. And so this online course is our answer to their question. They can take the class and they can take it for free. What is hip-hop and religion, and, 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 and what's the connection, and why a course? Well, understand that I spent much of my youth in the pulpit. I was a young preacher okay. who loved hip-hop, so the connection between religion and hip-hop for me was just natural, just natural. And as an academic, I wanted to bring that interest to the classroom. I study religion, and I love hip-hop, and I wanted to share that with students. So I've been teaching off and on for about 21 years now, a course related to religion and hip hop. When I got to Houston, I needed to have in the classroom some of the artists who had influenced me over the years. So I reached out to one of my PhD students and asked her to be in touch with Bun B to see if we could get him to come in and give a lecture. Right, right now, now, why Bun? He's brilliant, right? right? His, his music has been influential. He's thoughtful, well-informed, just a genius. And to have him in the class was not only a benefit for me, but it was something the students in Houston had to have access to. It only made sense. Now, did you, as, as, as someone that was in the pulpit, did you find that your attraction to hip-hop or your love or your, your passion for hip-hop 
Was that something that was contradictory to what you were doing in, 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 in on the pulpit? From the perspective of the church, yeah, right. there was a problem. But from my perspective, no, that hip hop provided a much more realistic depiction of the world. Right. That what I had been taught as a minister and what I gave folks in my sermons glossed over the shit that was life. Right. But hip hop paused looked at it and wrestled with it. So for me, it provided a grammar, provided a language for talking about life that was real. It was real. So it only made sense. Yeah. Older folks in the church had a problem with it, but black churches have always had a problem with music. It begins with the blues. They have a problem with gospel. They're going to have a problem with hip hop. But for me, this was just natural. It was my music. So in the church, did they scarlet letter you, man? Did they were like this guy, (laughs) this guy right here, this guy pen is a problem? No, because I was sneaking in the sermons. Okay. Right. So like, they say an example. They say in hallelujah and right. they don't realize what. So the message was easy. Right. Right. The message was easy to get in there. You take scripture. You can have Jesus and wrestling with issues that are lodged in the Bible and then express, explain, explain this through uh, through the message. And folks who didn't listen to hip hop still got it. You could sneak this language in. The young folks understood. Right. Because you're speaking the older folks. Just you let them get happy. It didn't really matter. Right. Now, you have a Ph.D. from Harvard. Yes. That's pretty impressive. Like, you're not just some cat that just invented this thing, you know, just like on some spur of the moment. No, I like to believe I know a little something. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 seriously, when you listen to particularly contemporary hip hop today, you know, I think the last thing that would come to someone's mind is religion. Like, how do you connect the two? Like, let, let's see how you connect the two with, like, say, someone like a like a two chains and, and, and his sermonizing on the mic. And how does that boil down to... How is that connected to religion? Let me start with a general statement and then we'll move to particulars. So preachers and hip hop artists share an understanding that stories matter, that you've got to tell stories in a way that are compelling, that pull people in. You've got to tell stories in a way that allow folks to say, shit, this makes sense to me. They're talking about my life, Mm -hmm. right? That just makes sense. Then there are explicit ways in which these two connect. All you have to do is really listen. As soon as Jay-Z says, you're in the presence of King, scratch that, you're in the presence of God. How are you not talking about a religious theme? No church in the world. How are you not talking about a religious theme? As soon as Tupac starts talking about black Jesus, patron saying to thus, how are you not talking about religion? The problem was churches, for example, and to, uh, 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 to a great extent, Nation of Islam, five percenters. There are ways in which the moral vision and the ethical vision of hip hop might run contrary to their idealized vision. But if you keep it real, you understand that within both contexts, you have people trying to make the best they can in a world that is somewhat fucked. So we're talking about taking the vision, taking the word, taking the teachings and removing the the wall that is dogma that prevents one from really in, in, in the religious world tends to. Limit one's humanity? Well, Prof. Bun B and I recognize that religion is really about trying to make life meaningful. Right. That religion is a certain way of wrestling with the huge questions of life. Who are we? What are we? Why are we? Where are we? Hip-hop has done the same thing, but with swag. Right. And so we in the classroom just help students to recognize these connections and talk about these connections in ways that are thoughtful and deep. Now, Bun, when you were tapped by... Pause. That's a good pause. Prof- a good pause. Pro- pro- Professor Penn. Good, good catch. To, 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 to do this course, what, what, what ran through your mind, man? Well, <clears throat> you know, I always tell people that, you know, I'm never scared to take a chance on something, but I'm not going to do it if I don't feel like I'm, I can commit to it 
And this was one of those things where I had to really be sure that I was willing to commit 100 percent. Right. Because you don't halfway teach a college course. You don't halfway teach children. You know what I'm saying? And that's what it was really about. And then you look at, you know, a black man like Dr. Penn being, you know, the most tenured man of color at Rice University. I don't want to do anything to hinder that process. You know, he's really making a major contribution in the classroom on the campus, you know. And then there's the university itself. Rice University is a smaller university. It's a private university. And they have never been significant numbers of people of color taking classes at Rice University. So to have someone like this who is really, you know, putting his basically his entire academic career on the line by bringing a person like me who has no academic experience. I don't even hold a college degree, you know. So, you know, there's a very big chance that Doc was taken on me to do the class. So I didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to let the students down. And for me, most importantly, I didn't want to let hip-hop down, right. you know, because this would have been a serious black eye in the game had I not taken this seriously and committed 100%. Right. Now, what's what was your attraction to the, to the, to the concept of hip-hop and religion? Well, a rapper being a teacher in college. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was the first thing. Like, that kind of a message, I think, sends shockwaves through the minds of young black men. You know what I'm saying? Because I think that they've known me as a person who, even though I've had this rough life and I've I've done some some things that I may be not proud of, I've been very honest and very real about everything I've done and who I am as a person, you know? And I think a lot of people know that, you know, I don't take myself seriously as a person, but I take what I do very seriously, you know? And if I start it, I'm going to finish it. Right. And so for me, that was really all I had to really think about. Like, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to do it all the way through and you got to, you know, make sure that you do it to where Doc don't look crazy and shit, you don't look crazy. How tough is it making that adjustment from being an artist? And, 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 and it know? was it was very different for me because, again, I don't come from the academy. Like right. I wasn't a college student, so I wasn't I wasn't familiar with either side of the podium. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that took something. You know, that took a little while to get used to. And then the fact of having to actually craft lectures based on different reading assignments and things like that. You know, every every two days, you know, two days a week I'm teaching. It was usually a Tuesday and Thursday. And, you know, I got a lecture every day. So I'm not just kind of sitting there in the back with a projector waiting to show a video or something like that. Like I'm actually speaking 20, 25 minutes straight right. in class, lecturing to the students. And that's a different different way of communicating than I'm used to. You know, but, you know, Doc is an incredible mentor in the sense of, you know, just really just constantly instilling confidence in me. He never, ever wavered in the fact that he believed I could do it. Right. And every time I would call him or go to him, like, Doc, man, I don't know, man, this this topic is rough. And, and, you know, it's like, well, what do you got? You know, and I tell him what I got. He's like, (laughs) well, that's it. Yeah. You know, that's it. You're on the right path. Like, you got this, man. Like, quit worrying about it. You know, you got this shit. So. That that those little words, you know, of encouragement really gave me the confidence to go in week after week after week and craft these lectures and, you know, having to do the hard work of reading all the literature and then double reading the literature so that you have a good grasp on it. So that when the kids of the class choose to question certain things about it, you're in a position to speak exactly to what they're talking about. You should know exactly the point that they're trying to make and should be able to speak to that point because we're not really there to correct them. There's no, you know, the kind of conversation we have really have no right or wrong answer. Right. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I we, we speak publicly and I've spoken publicly, but about a, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to speak at my, my kid's high school. Mm. And that was one, like, that's when I had the biggest butterflies because I was like, you know, these kids are here to learn. Mm-hmm. These kids, you know, 
because they're exercising that muscle. It's not an audience. It's kids that are training their passion to really learn from whoever's in front of the in front of them and to even challenge that person. So it was like it was a whole set of like my it was a whole mindset that I had to go into that classroom with. Did you find yourself absolutely with, right. like on a daily like on a daily basis? It was something that I had to deal with because. Yeah. Say, for example, Monday, you know, I have to get up, I have to get ready because I'm teaching on Tuesday. Tuesday, I'm teaching. You know, Wednesday, I have to start preparing myself because I'm teaching on Thursday. Right. And I teach on Thursday. And then, say, Friday and Saturday, maybe if I got shows, then I go out of town and I do a couple of shows and I come back Sunday. And Sunday, I got to start the beginning part of that lecture. I got to right. start doing maybe rereading, the, you know, the reading assignments for those two days. And then Monday morning, I'm right back to working on that lecture, right. you know. And it's just something that you kind of have to train yourself to do. Like, and then untrain yourself and go back to where you came from right. for your day job and then re you know regroup again at the beginning of a week so again like there were a lot of times where i felt like yo i'm tired mentally physically i don't know i'm not sure if i'm grasping this right i gotta let me call a doctor make sure i ain't off note on this shit so yeah. i don't get up there and talk about you know some shit <laughs> right. and then i'm really not talking about it from the viewpoint that i should be in that in that aspect you know what religions are covered in in your course man the online course, it's, it's a shorter period of time, so right. we only cover Christianity and Islam. Uh, but when we have the students for 15 weeks, we cover a range, and the most challenging is getting them to think about humanism or atheism as a religious option. Now, now I, I noticed that, you, was, wasn't your dissertation on from, from Harvard on humanism as... Are you going way back? Yeah. No, but I'm saying, yeah. but but right. I'm saying, hey, I told yeah. you this Jack, you know his shit. This Jack. <laughs> but, but was yes. it humanism yes. as a religion? Can you can you can can we talk about that? I, my understanding is again that religion is a way of framing human experience. It's a right. way of wrestling with and unpacking human experience, trying to make some sense of the Why shit of human life. Why do we do right. what we do? Where are we going? Exactly. Right. Exact. That's what religion is at its core. And any system of thought that wrestles with those sorts of questions constitutes a religious tradition. And so to the extent that humanism and atheism are all about helping humans find their place in the world, make sense of the world, be comfortable with who they are in the world, it's a religious system. You know, I find that the religions that 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 resonate the most with me are the ones that move from being religious because I find like, you know, I don't want to be like in terms of like this means this and this this means that. But I find like religions that tend to focus more on religion as opposed to spirituality mm-hmm. are the ones that tend to be most removed from humanity. Would you, would you agree? Well, because the difference between spirituality and religion for me is this, that spirituality is about a connection to something greater. Yes. And how you express that connection, how you deal with that connection, that's on you. Religion is so concerned with institutions and formal doctrines and creeds that it chokes out this connection to something that's greater. Right. You know, I found the most spiritual people tend to be those that don't subscribe to a particular religion. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that the most spiritual people are the ones that really respect every individual around them and really goes by the credo of teaching. I'm treating this person like how I would like to be treated. Um, what do you say to people that don't ascribe to a particular religion, but they emanate this humanism? They emanate this spirituality. I say, do you? Right. That I'm not really concerned with how people categorize themselves. I'm Methodist. I'm Baptist. Right. I'm Hindu. I'm, I'm Muslim. I'm much more concerned with how folks treat each other right. and how they treat this fragile world in which we live. You name it how you want to name it. 
why is it that, and you spoke about this also in, in, in one of your interviews, why is it that when we talk about the concept of atheism, why is it mm-hmm. that that is like the most taboo to a lot of black people? Because we labor under the assumption that black folks are Christian, have always been, ain't going to be nothing but Christian. Right. Right. And, and But there's another reason. We have a very low opinion of humans. And so the attitude we is— We as, as African— As Ameri- African—as as a people. As a people. African Americans in particular, everybody in general, low opinion of the human animal. So we assume if you don't have a God or God's holding you in check— Anything goes and you just act wild. Right. That if you don't have a God or gods, you can't be moral, you can't be ethical. So the assumption So that's is, the assumption that, that a lot of us carry. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And that some folks, some black folks will even argue that humanists and atheists have surrendered the racial identity. They ain't black no more. They bought into some white shit and they ain't even black. <laughs> right. But but atheism in itself is a religion, wouldn't you say? Oh yeah, and it's old. You Atheism and humanism are old within black communities. Think in terms of the spirituals. We can't accurately date the spirituals. We don't know when black folks start singing spirituals. In the same way, we don't know when the blues actually begin. Don't think in terms of the race records of the 20s. Blues, we can't accurately date. But we do know that this musical form, whenever it starts, is suspicious of this God stuff, mm. makes fun of this God stuff, mm. embraces a, a way of moving through the world that is humanistic if it's not atheistic in orientation. And then you move through time. you got things like the Harlem Renaissance, Richard Wright, famous writer, mm-hmm. an atheist, Lorraine Hansberry, Raising in the Sun, yes. an atheist. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, man, this is deep. Were they, were they, were they, were they, were they criticizing their, in their community for that? Oh, yeah. Criticized for it, but they didn't care. Right. Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was political. Right. He knew that he had to talk a certain way in order to get support. But there are private letters by Frederick Douglass that point out he not believing this stuff. Right. W.E.B. Du Bois. Mm. Man, wasn't a Christian just because he wrote about church. I write about churches. I'm not a Christian. Right. Okay. But Du Bois, Du Bois argue he lost any reliance on any kind of God idea early on in life. And by the time he's studying in Germany, it's all gone. Right. What's, what's your faith now, sir? I'm a, an atheist. Okay. Now you're to, an atheist to the extent I have a community. Sometimes I hang out with the folks in the Unitarian Universalist Association. It's a small denomination, but for the most part, I just try to live right. Right. Let me ask you guys something, man. Cause this is something that, 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 that has been puzzling me for a long time. I grew up a Christian and then for a while, I, not that I was an atheist, but I didn't follow anything. And then 25 years ago, I became a Buddhist. But the issue I've been grasping with is how can we justify the black community's attachment to Christianity based on the contemporary history of Christianity and how it relates to black people? Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, that's a uh, tough one. I, I would I would argue that. I, I think that most of the common, you know, I won't say common, but most modern day Christians really don't have a strong sense of Christian Christianity right. because Christian churches don't teach Christianity. They mm. teach the Bible. Right. You know, so they're not teaching everything that Christianity has, I guess, experienced or, you know, experimented in any more than I'm sure a Catholic church really just deals with the wrongs that they've done within the Catholic church. Like we're not here to teach the history of the Catholic church. We're here to teach the history of, of Christ and God and Jesus and 
and that kind of a situation. And I'm not a Christian, but I do have to say this. It, forget about T.D. Jakes. Right. Forget about Creflo Dollar. Right. Oh. Forget about Eddie Long. Yeah. And think in terms of Nat Turner, okay. Denmark V.C., right. Gabriel Prosser. Oh, These yes. were enslaved preachers who said, look, this Christian thing ain't about conforming to the slave system. It's about ripping it up. Right. Right. But they understood themselves as Christians. Remixing it. Mm. Remixing it. Yes. Right. And their attitude, no, is what God really wants is us to be free, yes. to be fully human. And if right. some white folks got to die in the process, then they got to die. Mm. Right. So Christianity and black communities have always had a layered and complex relationship. There are times when Christianity has sought to pacify black folks. Right. To well, get them was, to was, buy into the system. Yeah? And still to this day, you you, yeah. you you hear in contemporary, you know, even with the whole Black Lives Matter thing. Yeah. You know, where they, they, they misinterpret the, the, the teachings of the, the, you know, the great Dr. Martin Luther King. And they're like, no, you all have to be peaceful and, yeah. and, and pacifist. And that's that's not necessarily what Dr. Martin Luther King preached. I now, mean, he wasn't a dreamer. He, he was an activist. Yes. Right. But the dreamer is easier for us to deal with. Right. Well, easier for mainstream to deal right. with. Right. 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 Um, talk about your, your, how you address like voodooism in, in, in your class, you know, because, you know, we're talking about religion. We're talking mm -hmm. about, you know, particularly, you know, people of African descent. And I mm -hmm. think one of the most fascinating things, particularly with, with, with our ancestors is how, you know, different tribes, different nations were, 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 were mashed together on those slave ships. And I'm talking particularly of, of Haiti and mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. didn't necessarily know how to communicate with each other, but here you have the slave master beating us down with this Christianity and we're taking this Christianity and we're incorporating yeah. it with all our different, you know, or Orishas and, and, and Santeria and the whole nine and mixing it up so that it becomes a unifying voice so that we can overthrow yeah. the, the, the oppression. Can, can we talk about that, man? I mean, the, 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 you are absolutely right. I mean, Haiti is a prime example, right? You've got a major revolt that is successful, successful, right? Successful and highly dependent upon voodoo right that the haitian loa these gods play a major role in what these folks do it's deeply influential places like cuba you have the african way or what we commonly call santeria yes. again they took catholicism turned it on its head and made it do a different type of work and white missionaries and colonists were stupid enough to believe that folks would just accept Catholicism because it was their thing. Right. Right. That you let these enslaved Africans do whatever they want to do because they'll come around to the truth. And they took this tradition and made it do a different work. And that is just brilliant. It seems to me there's a relationship and we've not really had time right. to wrestle with this in the class. Not not this particular class, but there seems to me a relationship between how voodoo has understood the world and how hip-hop understands it, that hip-hop has taken elements from the dominant society and made these elements do a different type of work, right? The DJ has taken elements and made these elements do a different type of work. Right. The MC has changed and altered religion so that the dominant society doesn't even recognize this anymore. The art has changed the dynamics of the art world, made it do a different type of work. The dance has bo taken bodies that were despised, right, understood as yes. ugly because they were brown and black, right. and made them defy gravity in a way that forced folks to understand them as beautiful, as supple, as meaningful. It seems to me 
they've done to the dominant culture what voodoo and santeria has done. They conjured the dominant dominant culture and made it do a different type of work. And, and you see the effect of, of it, of it it's right brilliant. now all over the world. You know, we had Tariq uh, Nasheed on our show last year, and he really blew me away because, you know, I was I was asking him, like, you know, what is it particularly with this dominant, quote-unquote, dominant society that, that holds on to, to racism? And he blew me away, and he said, racism is another form of religion. Like, what do you, what do you think of that? Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Have you ever thought about that? or? Well, I mean, if you look at, at Christianity and the way that it was pushed upon the slaves, it was pushed upon them with the attention of, you know, really keeping them docile, keeping them, you know, keeping that energy down and keep in mind that they use Christianity and sayings and scripture to justify their actions. Right. And we see a lot of that today in what the media likes to call media likes to label as Muslim extremists. Right. And but this I is a and this is a mm -hmm. quote unquote Christian nation. Right. Right. And, you know, I think the context of them constantly identifying these people as Muslims when most Muslims would not identify them as Muslim. I mean, we in Christianity have an extreme, you know, look at the Klan and, you know, the Klan yes. used, used Christianity and religion to justify their actions, you know. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that these kind of comparisons are made. You know, it just surprises me that today that people are still willing to buy into the notion of racism as a concept. Right. Like when, you know, there are examples from every race in dominance in certain levels. So we can't look at the Asian as weak. We, are, there are, we see now that they're dominant in certain things. We can't look at the Latina as, as weak. We see their dominance in certain areas. So, you know, it, 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 it's mind-boggling now to me that racism still exists. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that there's so much infighting within the races that it's hard to really unify, right? Because all black people don't see the black experience the same way, right? So you have black people who hold black people down more than these other races. Right would hold black people down. You have, you know, we have a class structure within our individual race system. Yes. So there's, in every race, there is, you know, the educated black man that calls the uneducated black man a nigga. Mm -hmm. There's the educated and affluent Latina man or Mexican, well, I'm in Texas, the Mexican man that calls the poor Mexican the wetback. And right. there, you know, all these different negative terms that exist within different castes. These, these races that are used you know, there's a there's a the the illusion that the only people calling black people niggas are white people. Right. It's in in terms of derogatory, mm -hmm. which couldn't be further from the truth. Right. You know, um, it's it's something that's very real. It's palpable and it's still there. So until black people stop negatively affecting the progress of black people, then we can never expect to unify and deal with the issues of other races that try to objectify us. We have to get out of our own objectification right. within the race. But but isn't this the age-old conundrum? Isn't this the age-old issue? Like, you, you know, one of the things that I love about reading historically, you mm -hmm. know, going 700 years back or 1,000 years back, or when you read the Bible or any other type of scripture, you see that the same issues that we deal with today has always existed. Is it, is it, like, this is the never-ending quest to reach a higher level of humanity 
See, and, and I'd change it just a little bit and right. say that white supremacy is the religion, racism is its doctrine. Okay. And and I think it per, it persists. It Thank you for that clarification. Because racism pays the bills, and this has been the case since the 1500s. Yes. Racism has paid the bills. And one of the dilemmas is black folks and brown folks and yellow folks have bought into this, have bought this doctrine and practice it themselves. I'll tell you one thing. From me, first of all, class is in session. That's first of all. <laughs> class is in session. Internet's, you, you, this is the class. It's not an episode only. But I, one thing I think with racism from my end, from what I see, mm-hmm. is households bringing up their kids to not real, real the way that they were brought up. Not really breaking the chains and, 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 and breaking the barriers. And, and, you know, I give it for example, like, um, I don't remember my family, um, anybody really dating a black woman. I am. Right. You know, because um, I love her. You know, I'm, for me, love, I don't see, I don't see mm-hmm. no color through that. But I feel like I'm breaking the chains. I'm showing mm-hmm. my daughter the difference that if she wanted to be with a black man, that's okay. And then, you know, with you, because I know Pete, you know, obviously I know Pete as a friend for a while. And even with the way that you're naming your children is breaking the cycle of yeah. not giving them, you know, the typical Italian names. Yeah. You know, to, to show, to really not label them or lock them in. Like, right. you know, to where, like, you know, most people, are, you know, are named like John, Peter and all of that. Those names are dying. We were talking about that. Yeah, Maria, Joey. But also, you know. You, you wouldn't go with Joey, right? No, no, I don't want Because yeah. I was just, when he said he was having a boy, yeah. I was like, Petey Jr. Yeah, that's what and I said. he was like, you know. <laughs> Forget about yeah, it. Big Petey, you know, Big Petey and Little Petey. I mean, yeah. You know, you know it's a Big Petey and Little Petey. That's all I, I thought. And he was like, no, I don't want to hold that kid back with an old name. I want to give him a modern name and a better chance at right. opportunities, you know. And I don't think people realize how much names play into that. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it, for me, it's like when we speak about racism being alive. And, and I'm already talking about Italians. I, lo- I love that I'm Italian. I, I, I just don't love that. You know, I see a lot of like even with Russians or you know, and even with Asian people, and you know, a lot of different nationalities. I think that they let their kids know. I see it. I've seen it where it's like you know they don't like black people, uh, so, so my kid's not going to like black mm-hmm. people, and that could it could be on the other side. It could be black people could be doing that, but I, I think somewhere, somewhere, in my opinion, that somebody needs to break the chain. To show them, like, look, accept people for who they are, you know? I mean, what we're speaking is it goes back way more mm-hmm. when you talk about mm-hmm. racism being alive yeah. and how it, I mean, yeah. that, that, but what I'm saying is in the household, how I feel is show the change, you know, uh, be open to the change. And, 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 you know, like where I grew up, I mean, I, I, it wasn't really like that at one point in time. Well, I grew up in a house where, like, my mother was a very peaceful kind person you know we went to church all the time my mother helped the less fortunate people in the neighborhood my mother was in like uh like uh like the like invalid i guess care you know what i'm saying so my mother has a lot of compassion in her heart you know and i remember you know my mother didn't i might hear my mother curse i was maybe 17 18 years old but i remember like i had a crush on a girl on a white girl when i was in elementary school in the fifth grade i was in love with this girl and I remember going to my mom and being like, yo, I like this girl. And she was like, who is she? She was like, Jennifer. And I was like, you know, I was like, Jennifer. She's like, oh, that's a nice name. Well, you know, 
uh, what are mom and daddy doing? I said, I don't know. They white people, so I don't know. She was like, oh, no, you can't bring no white girl to my house. <laughs> how, how did that affect you, man? It was very surprising that I, you know, that was the first time that the racism I was dealing with was insular, was in the house. Right. You know, I had never heard my mother or my father really have an opinion on white people in the sense of don't do that or in people in general yeah yeah i had never been i had never heard my mother speak ill of anybody in that sense like that and i was kind of off-putting and i was like why not you like just you you know it's a lot of black girls before you get to the white girl you got to pass up probably a whole bunch of black girls so maybe give one of them a chance before (laughs) you get to the white girl you know and that was something that stuck with me for a long time like you know it just it just wasn't done in their time right you know, and so I guess, the, you know, the thinking was is that it's just not done, period. Right. But times obviously were changing. Of course. You I know? mean, and even yeah. though times are still changing, that's that's still been going on yeah. since time immemorial, all since mm. we've been here. You know, Absolutely. like I think once again, with the advent of, of white racist supremacy, it became like, a, you know, we cannot do this. But people have been race mixing from day one. Oh, yeah. And, and the flip side of this is being color struck. Right. Right. The flip side that the the white man's ice is colder. Uh, that my grandmother loved her dearly, mm-hmm. but one of the things she told me was, "Don't bring all these dark women into my house." Mm. Right. Right. So she had the equivalent of the paper bag test. Remember, she, paper she, she, bag she was test, right? That folks lighter than the paper bag were okay. Okay. okay yes. Darker than the paper bag, you got a problem. Right. right? So color struck. What is the concept um, you wrote about this of? The problem of evil in the African-American religious thought. What, what is that? See, this is the issue for me. Right. That traditions like Christianity, and I'll pick on Christianity now, and if you want to extend the conversation, we can, but Christianity has an issue. And academics talk about this issue as the problem of evil or theodicy. What can you say about God in light of human suffering in the world? So you've got this thing that Christians have to understand as real God, and this thing they cannot deny the bullshit of life, evil, moral evil. How do you bring these two together in a way that makes sense? God's got to be in control of things. Otherwise, why talk about God, right? Right. But they cannot deny that their experience has been harsh. My concern, my problem is this, that most black Christians solve this by giving suffering a benefit, right? That suffering is a wonderful thing. That no cross, no crown. Right. I heard that in church how many times? Pro- how many times did you hear that in church? I, I, I might have heard it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no cross, no crown, or we're tried like gold in the fire, right? <laughs> to, to get accepted into the afterlife, correct? Well, just that suffering becomes a mark of our righteousness. Right. That the devil's on us because the devil knows I'm right. 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 So we take suffering as a positive, and I don't know how black folks can try to promote social transformation. By saying that the shit they encounter has some sort of benefit. Just, or justification. I know exactly. a lot of that is, is where Clarence comes in, too. I think Clarence used a lot of that notion to, like— Clarence. Uh, Clarence X. Okay. You know, and talking about how, you know, why you keep constantly praying mm-hmm. to this God, you right, know, that right. is doing nothing for you. You're right. still right where you were and nothing's happened, and you're trying to prove— that God is looking out for you, like he says, because the devil is watching you. So obviously if the devil wants you, it's because you're doing something right and you're chosen by God. Right, and that's why right, you're going right. through what you're going through, you know. And Clarence X was like, if you just got up off your ass you'd be, you'd be, and did something for yourself, yeah. instead of sitting in that house waiting for this imaginary person to come and change everything for you and, you know, become your own God, you know, then maybe things might work out a little bit different for you. 
internets once again. This portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by Bevel, the first and only shaving system designed specifically for coarse and curly hair and sensitive skin. Now, if you're a fan of the Combat Jack Show, you know why I fucks with Bevel so heavy. I fucks with Bevel because they don't bullshit you. You pay money to get a superior product, and that's what you get. Another reason why I fuck with Bevel so heavy is because it's been approved by an African-American dermatologist that, that, that Bevel reduces and prevents razor bumps. It's designed from the ground up to give you a smooth, bump-free shave. Finally, we fucks with Bevel because of Tristan Walker. Tristan Walker is a homie from Queens, New York. He's a golden child out in Silicon Valley. He's an entrepreneur. He saw the hole in this African-American grooming market, and he sold it. Stop playing around, shaving like a heathen, walking around like you have no type of sense education a job in your life man up be a gentleman cop that bevel go to getbevel.com g-e-t-b-e-v-e-l.com punch in promo code combat c-o-m-b-a-t that's me c-o-m-b-a-t for 20% off all goods and services once again that's getbevel.com promo code combat c-o-m-b-a-t stop shaving like you lost your goddamn mind boy and now back to the show you know what i find um very dangerous is when a group of people look at the people across the way or at that table or across the waters, a whole nine, and they label those people evil. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. once you label somebody or a group of people evil, then in a sense, they're no longer human. And that gives you justification to do whatever the do fuck whatever you, want. you want to do about that. And I find that, you know, particularly I found, you know, I, I'm a very optimistic cat. And I remember when, when 9-11 happened, I thought, that this was an opportunity for us to say, okay, how do we straighten this out? Mm-hmm. Before we even got there, we labeled the peoples evil. And the evil, evil axis. And, and, and then we just, the axis of evil. And right. then we just continued with right. the evil. Do you find that also like one of the major downfallings of religion, of like pointing to the evil? Oh, yeah. I mean, religions are based upon an insider and an outsider. Right. right? The insiders are the folks within that tradition. Outsiders, you do whatever you want to them because they don't have the truth. And in some way, they don't matter as much. They don't matter. And that's a problem. Right. I mean, that's the whole concept behind ISIS. You know, that's why they feel groups like that feel justified in doing what they're doing because it doesn't really matter. You're not God's chosen people anyway. We're God's chosen people. So if you're not in line with what we're doing, you don't matter to God. Therefore, you don't matter to us. Why do we find in the, in the most dominant religions, you know, we're talking about Islam, we're talking about Christianity, we're talking about Judaism. Why does that? exists so prominently the casting of you know we are the chosen people we're the saved people we're the good people you know we're on a mission from god and 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 damn everybody why do we why is that so prominent those three share a book right Right. the people of the book so in one shape or another they are drawing from the same sacred text and this sacred text is all about a group being privileged and having the capacity, having the right, actually, to do whatever they want to do to secure what they've been promised, right? So, of course, these three traditions walk away with this assumption that folks who are favored by God have the right to do whatever they need to do to spread their faith and to get the goods. Doctor, is it part of your mission in this course to change that in religion? We think that knowledge is power. Yes, so if we can get students to critically think about the world and to use these two cultural developments that have influenced and impacted the world, if we can get them thinking about this, raising questions 
and producing new answers, we can get them living differently. Mm. And if they're living differently, they can change the societies in which they dwell. Because we tend not to look very critically or judge very critically our own faith, correct? No. No, 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 no. Um, you, you mentioned Clar- Clarence uh, 13X. Yes, yes. Um, do you guys talk about the prevalence of, you know, the, the nation of the gods and the earth? Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't have a conversation about hip-hop and religion without acknowledging the influence that the 5% nation and, the, the you know, the religion of Islam, Islam right. has had in, in the culture. I mean, from the leaders of our culture to the terminology that has come from um, you know, the 5% nation, which is everyday talk here, you know, building ciphers, peace, all the, you God. know, peace, all these different things come from the culture. And, um, because a lot of the, the greatest practitioners of hip hop were from that religious sect, it's been kind of, you know, it's just really just put upon us that these were important terms to learn. I remember being in Texas as a hip hop fan and listening to some of this terminology and not really knowing everything you try to, you can tell by the context in which the way the term was used, a vague idea of maybe what it meant. But if you didn't have anyone that had, you know, really studied and, you know, knew the mathematics. Translate that, right. Yeah, then you really were just kind of left out. I mean, that when that was for a lot of things. I mean, we didn't understand the 5% terms. We didn't understand what a buck 50 meant either. Right. You know what I'm saying? So it was, also, it was also like the whole... Different. So that was a whole thing to like try to figure out what these terms meant. Right. And then you once you did that, Rakim became so much of a mm-hmm. deeper individual. KRS one became so much more of a deeper mm-hmm. individual. You know, people like Big Daddy Kane and, and I mean, I remember listening to like, you know, you listen to early Just Ice records and you go that far, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that was kicked in a lot of hip hop, you know, poor righteous teachers like Kim Shabazz, a lot of people. Some of it's subtle, some of it very brazen. Right. You know? But I think that's a great thing about, you know, regions. Like, you know, coming up in New York, like like what what was lean? You know what I'm saying? What was Blaze? What was, you know, slabs, you know what I'm right, saying? Like right. candy paint. Like just once you understood or got a, a grasp of what the what those terms meant then it painted a better picture of the music that you was listening to. Well, yeah, I mean, even with the West Coast with Pendletons and Dickies, I yeah. remember. Gats, I mean, what the hell? I remember just <laughs> first time, I, what, what is a gat? <laughs> and I think we all asked that, like, what are these yeah, West yeah, Coast like, cats talking about? They're pulling out the gat, they're busting the gat. I guess that means gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> they're pulling out something else and busting it, I don't want to know. Hey, Bayo, right. <laughs> we were talking about the Tuleys. Yeah, yeah. That, that Carried by the Moolies. <laughs> What are some of the uh, required uh, reading for for your courses, for your course? So Bun and I have uh, edited a book along with Monica Miller, who teaches at Lehigh University, okay. that looks at religion and hip hop. So we we pull from that. We pull from some of the earlier stuff that I've done. We pull from work by Trisha Rose, mm-hmm. um, uh, Mark Anthony Neal, yes. Michael Dyson, okay. Angela Nelson. I mean, there are a variety of folks from which I mean, we've we, even, we even yes. added uh, Decoded. Decoded yeah. is a part. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was in, in college, man, like, we didn't have courses on hip-hop. But if I had a chance to take a course on religion, I would because I knew it was an easy course. So now you got a course with with hip hop and religion, man. Is it is it an easy course? Man? It's not they an easy course, work, man. Yeah. They it, got to work. I think that y'all fail that, students. Uh, We've had a whole lot of D's, whole lot of D's, whole yeah. lot of D's. Right. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, people come. Why, why to, not F's? They did enough to get a D. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we try to work with these kids as much as possible. Right. Um, but I mean, the reality is, is that, you know, the, the idea, if you're a hip hop fan, right. 
right? Then the idea of Bumby teaching your class is, you know, that's sexy. Yeah. That's in, you know, and then you're thinking that, well, if Bumby's teaching it, not to say that I'm stupid, but it can't be that intense, right. you know, but I'm not teaching it by myself. And I'm not, not a teaching sucker. About UGK. You're not yeah. teaching Yeah, about I mean, the, the, the thing is, okay, Bumby's teaching, of course, it, right? So, like, Bumby will come in, probably talk about a little rap, play a song or two, show a video, and then we out this bitch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. But uh, we I'm taking, the, that, I'm taking the, that class. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those classes, like, yeah, we should just take Bumby's class, and that'll be, that'll be an easy one right, right there, no right. problem. And then, you know, from the first day, we make it very clear that, you know, we, we give them a list, and they see everything that they have to read and everything that they have to do to be prepared for the course, and... You know, I'm I'm there as professor. Like I've I've worked very hard to maintain my integrity on the academy. So there's no calling me Bun B. They 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 have to call you Professor it's prof. Freeman. It's Prof. Prof. In the context of the classroom, I'm right. teaching. I'm the educator. I'm the professor. You refer to me as Professor Freeman or Prof. Right. And that was something that that was Doc's idea. Right. Doc was like, "You're gonna you're coming in. You're doing the hard work. You're preparing. You're doing everything that you need to do to." to to acknowledge your place in here and to demand the respect of the position, so it's only right that these teachers, these students, give you the respect. Yeah, you're not you a peer. You're not no, a peer. You're not not a, no, 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 not on campus. Right now, we meet outside the campus at Burger King or Timmy Chan's or something. <laughs> or you come to a Bumby show, and obviously I'm Bumby. But even still, my students still they call me Prof off campus. They call me Prof. Do you find your students, some of your students, having a hard time grasping with that? Not really, because the majority of our students don't come from a hip-hop background. Okay. A lot of them are taking a course to get an understanding of it, like the ones that stay. Like, right. of course, there's a few that come in, and then they realize it's real work, and they're like, okay, I got to drop this immediately. Right. You know, because, this, is, this is not going to work. No, nah, no, nah, it's not going to work. Right. I got other shit. If I'm going to be reading eight books, I probably need to read them based on my major. Right. Th- those the, are the guys that are handing you the CDs, you know? like you, you, Some people, you, you'd be surprised if somebody's like... I mean, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a bit of audacity every now and then where people think that, you know, Listen we're going to do demo. CDs. And, <laughs> and we let them know we're, we have no problem accepting demos. You can turn it in when you turn in your final. Right. You know what I'm saying? So just hold on to that thing, and yeah. at the end of the yeah. course, after you've taken your midterm and you've done the work, and then we come back around and you take the final, when you turn in your final exam for the course on the last day, we'll put a little box up here, and you can put your demo in there, too. And we have had people actually turn in demos, but nobody looking for a deal, just a really about expressing themselves. Right. Like, mm-hmm. this is how I feel. Yeah. I'm using this yeah. as a way of expressing myself. I don't know if I'm, I'm probably not going to make it, but I just want you to hear it and tell me what you think about it. You hear some hot shit, man? I heard some deep shit. Right. <laughs> That's some hot shit. I heard some deep shit. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot more. Students, keep your, step your bars up. <laughs> no, the bars is cool. The, usually the music is the problem. Right, the production. Yeah, but what they're talking about, man, like I said, we got to, you know, we're at Rice University, so we got some sharp cats. Right. You know, there's no suckers over there like yeah. that. So, I mean, they're, they're going for it. You know, some of that shit might be a little bit too deep. Right for commerce or radio or whatever. But like I said, some of them, they're just doing it to really express themselves. They're at a very impressionable age. You know what I'm saying? They're very vulnerable. And they just want to be, you know, they just want to be heard and seen sometimes. What's the most challenge both of you have been in, in your course with regard to your students? With regard to the students? Yeah, like how have they challenged you the most, man? Both um, of you. For me, I think the female aspect of it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, how do you even handle that, both of y'all, man? Like, that was rough. It, it could be rough. I mean, we have female representatives, like we have female teaching assistants right. that help deal with it. But, I mean, you know, there's very valid points about the way the, the female is viewed, portrayed, and allowed to participate in both religion and hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so we've had some very strong voices about that for pros and cons. 
in both sides. And luckily we have very competent female teaching assistants that can not only help with those answers, but then, you know, they, they lecture too. We give an opportunity for our teaching assistants, each teaching, teaching assistant to lecture on a particular topic. So our female teaching assistants are all in a position to tackle that subject. See, I, n- I never thought about it like that in terms of like how both hip hop and religion tend to be objectify yeah. very yeah. you know you know very chauvinistic and that very, that has been the challenge right. right because we see the world as black men and so the examples we typically pull from revolve around black men so that right. has been a point of concern making certain that we provide a bit more balance so that students understand the roles that women have played and the challenges they've raised with respect to both hip hop and and religion and it's 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 crazy man because Historically, you will find that those who have been oppressed tend to be great oppressors. And with this whole rising tide right now in social media, particularly with feminism, particularly with black feminism, you know, I'm surprised at all the hateful shit we as men are saying online about how we are not trying to knock down the whole concept of female empowerment and, and, and feminism, or whatever that might, might mean. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I'm, I'm shocked. Well, you know, as men, you know, we're often off-put when women challenge us. Yes. You know, I think particularly within black culture, you know, and, you know, I think every man wants to think of himself as an alpha male. Man. You know what I'm saying? So there's a bit of that in there. And, uh, but I think a lot of what these these women feel and say is justified. Yeah, of course. You know? Mm-hmm. and uh, A lot. You know, and we have to do a better job of allowing them to be heard because, even if we can't change the dynamics of everything, right. I think really as long as we let them, as long as we're letting them be heard, right. letting them be more active. As long as we're listening, that that's really the point too. Because I find that as a black man, when we talk about racism to the dominant society, they don't understand what the hell we're talking about, mm-hmm. and they tend to dismiss us. Mm-hmm. And I find when women talk about how they see sexism. And, you know, everyday situations. That we're, we're like, dismissive. Stop, stop playing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, once again, why are you guys taking this online and why is it free? Well, I mean, we've had a lot of interest right. from people. I mean, even within the, the, the university, like, say, take, for example, just right there at Rice University. All right. There's a limited a number of slots, limited number of slots that we can allow students to take. Right. So there's students on campus that are like. There's this great course going on, and I can't take it. Right. I wish I could take it. Can I audit it? Okay, I can't audit it. Well, how do I get to be a part of this conversation? I take that out into the city. There's other universities, TSU, U of H, Prairie View, students at these other universities. Why don't we have a course like this at our school? How can we be a part of something like that? Leave outside of Houston. Go out into the Sam Houston's you go, and, and the Houston, all these different universities you know, UT, Texas A&M, universities around Texas. This sound, this class at Rice sounds cool. Why can't we take it? Take it outside of Texas. You, kids in universities in California, New York, Washington, D.C. Take it out of America. Students in Paris, London, Brazil. People all over the world are interested in the dynamic between hip-hop and religion. Right. When you say that, you know, like, what's your course about hip-hop and religion? No, no, you can't just tell me that. Right. You got to explain that to me, you know? Because hip-hop people want to know where religion comes in. Religious people want to know where mm-hmm. hip-hop, hip-hop comes, comes in, in right, right. you know. And like Doc said, these are two of the most powerful cultures that exist in modern time. Mm-hmm. So this is an opportunity for all these different people, all these different levels that have wanted to be a part of the conversation, wanted to have somewhat of a look into this classroom and see exactly how we're drawing these connections between these two very strong and powerful 
and dynamic cultures. And that's where the interest with this class comes from. And Rice University is now allowing and affording us the opportunity to offer this course free as a MOOC to people around the world. Right. And when that kind of thing comes across the desk, you got to take advantage of it. Now, it's, it's, I'm sorry, go ahead, Doctor. And it also provides us with an opportunity to rethink how we teach and where we teach. So for us, we over the two times we've been teaching this, and we'll have this conversation again when we teach it in the fall, we're trying to do this in a way that's innovative, right, in a way that represents hip-hop and religion in ways that students aren't necessarily used to. We right. want to push them outside of their comfort zone so they can learn something. And this online course frees us to do it however we want to do it. So this course, none of it takes place on campus. Right. All of it takes place in locations in the larger Houston community. So this was important for us. Prof mentioned that there's interest from students around the globe. Right now we have 108 countries represented, right? 108 countries where students are, have signed up and are taking this course. For us, 108 was, countries so far. Yeah, we have representatives so from Have over. registered. Yes. Have registered. Right. For us, this was an opportunity to take a conversation that we say is vital to a much larger audience. What countries have surprised you the most in terms of the, those that have read people from those countries that have registered? Oh, none of them have really been a surprise. Okay. None of them have been a surprise. Middle East have a, a lot of people from the Middle East signed up? Middle East. I mean, we've got China. We've got wow. Japan, of course, right. Korea. China. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, is there a window? Like, is this taught in real time? Like, like you know, do I have to register by a certain date? You've got, yeah. The course starts March 24th. Right. And so, folks, this is prime time to register, and it's easy. Again, it's free, and registering is easy. All folks need to do is go to edx.org and then search for religion and hip-hop culture. Click a couple of buttons, and boom, to register for the class. Right. It's easy. Let me ask you, what... Um Obviously, the class has been popular. You know, I mean, I know that around the life class, right? Yeah, around yeah. around mm-hmm. campus, you know, it, it's been a big deal. People talking about it. Now, as far as the like the higher ups, like mm-hmm. what made them want to do this? Like, meaning, like push it to the online? Because <laughs> there had to be a point where they says, "Holy <laughs> shit, this is working! Take this and go out to the world." I, I, I'll take this one, so it's not to put, so it's not to put Doc in a funny position, yeah. you know. I'm not scared. Yeah, but I mean, it was I like literally it, when you know we were teaching this course, if I'm not mistaken, during the fundraising year, mm. and um, our capital campaign, yeah, a million dollars, mm. trying to raise money for the university, right. and as word got out of the class, different people that were funding to different schools and different departments were like, "Hey, can we meet the rapper? Like, my kids like the rapper." <laughs> So different schools that may right. have, so maybe different schools and, and that may have looked at us with a raised nose was like, yo, we need to get this money. Somebody call Tony and see if. So I mean, we went from the, from a period where the 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 prevost and the president were like, okay now, all right now, right? Hey, hey, all right now, you know, to where hey guys, um, hey. We have 13 different dinners that people would love to invite you to. We started getting invited to everything happening right. on campus. Yeah, that's, 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 that's awesome, man. Particularly yeah. the fundraising, right. you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, for us, you know, we knew that there was trepidation, you know. and Of course. But, but Doc wasn't scared, so there was no need to, for me to be scared. So I'm like, if he ain't scared of, of the, the people over there, then I ain't scared. Right. But, you know, we were very sincere about what we were trying to do, you know. We weren't trying to do it for the wrong reasons. Right. We wanted to do it for very real reasons. And once people actually saw 
the effect that we were having on the students and the reception of the idea and just the idea and the concept of this course from people around, you know, other institutions and whatnot. They kind of like, you know what? Do y'all thing. Yeah. Shit. Go ahead and do your thing. How challenging would the online course be? There's a lot of work students will have to do, but it's manageable manageable because we know folks have busy lives, they've got jobs, etc. So the it the work is manageable, but they've got a little reading they have to do. We want them to be involved in terms of the social challenge questions there. So they got to do a little work. My attitude, our attitude is this. If you're serious about this topic, then you got to put in some work. Some work, yes. Right, you got to do something. Right. And so we try to make it manageable, but also interesting and challenging. Yo, Pete, man, you, you want to take this course? Of course I would. I would love to, because I'll tell you one thing. In, in order to further hip-hop, you got to teach the youth. You got to teach the people. And, you know, I was telling Bon and I was telling you, with this episode, not only is it a chance for people to, to do that, but it's also a chance to show that it's another good effort right. in furthering the culture of hip-hop. Right. You know, uh, people want to find out what's going on in love in hip-hop. No. Why don't you find out what's going on in hip-hop and religion and find out what this culture is about? Are there, um, are there credits that, that are given out with this course? There's no credit at this point, but right. students can get a certificate. It's a, a small fee, and they'll get a certificate that's signed by both of us indicating that they've completed and they complete it with a particular grade. Right. Okay. So you can't just take the sign up for it and kind of take it off and on. That's right. at your own discretion whether or not you want to fully. But for the people that do do the work and actually, you know, take the, the time that it takes to manage the, the schedule and manage the assignments and do the work, you know, they a lot of people want proof that they did it and right. how they did it and did it well. So, how, and we provide that. What's the capacity in terms of how many people can can take the course? Infinite. Yeah. Infinite. How many people can get on the internet? So, how would you guys grade all of these individual students? <laughs> That's what's that process? We've like? got a good group of teaching assistants. Right. Most of them have been involved in the residential course. Right. We also have folks in the community who are partnering with us, they're course facilitators, and they're going to help us manage some of this. But many of the assignments are monitored and graded by the students. Okay. So everybody's got to, we want the students not only communicating with us and the teaching assistants, we want them communicating with, with each, each other. other. Right. And if there's a case where there are students that are exceptional or there are students that are exceptionally bad, will they ever maybe get a personal response from Prof or from, from you? We'll Doc. be in touch with some of them. Okay. Yeah, and and the, the teaching assistants will be in touch with a whole lot of them. Yeah, and, so. then, and then Doc and I will be having different conversations online. Right. You know, right. like, you know, during the course of week one, week two, depending on the subject matter. Doc and I will have conversations back and forth between each other on social media that right. the students will be able to monitor and also be a part of. So it is a possibility if I take this course and I'm fucking up that, that one of you might be like, your Reg. You you need to turn your your, your work in. Bond is going to jeep you. I'm just going to be like, yo, are you serious right now? You know, I'm gonna be like, my, my nigga, like, are you serious right now? Yeah, like, come on, man, you registered. Why are you wasting my time? Like, like why do that? Why why start this if you ain't going to finish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Work. That, that, that that's great, man. That's what, great. What has been um, some of the greatest testimonials of kids and people taking the class? Over, I mean, kids are just very humble, and kids are just like, yo, thank you for making this even more than what we thought it was, you know, because a lot of people thought, like, especially you got kids that come over from 
the business school. Mm-hmm. We got athletes that come over, architect kids. We got mm-hmm. kids from all these other different schools that come over and take this course. And it's a lot of hard work for a course that isn't along the line of your major. Yeah. Right. Isn't you, a requirement. You know what I'm saying? So we appreciate them, and we found that they appreciate us because we're giving them the information to be able to apply and challenge themselves in a very real way in every other course that they're taking. So they could take the lessons and the conversation, but more important, the ideas and the application of these ideas with them into not just other classes, but into life itself. So there have been letters and emails and phone calls from former students who are saying, look, what you and Prof taught us in class, I'm still using that. I've, I've been, I'm still thinking about it. So this is like a lifelong tool, a, life, oh, a lifelong yeah. hopefully, oh, yeah. that, that oh, you're yeah. giving to, to, yeah. to the students to take. We hope that yeah. the things that they learn in this course, that they're able to apply these in, in, say, if they're in the academy, professionally, personally, forever, right. you know. How's this course changed you, Bun? Well, I'm a teacher now. Right. So, you know, I was, I was a class clown. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I personally feel like I should write an apology letter to every teacher that I've ever had because I'm on the other side of the desk now and it's a very real job and keep in mind I'm in the position where I teach people that actually want to to be taught right you know we're not talking about the the high school teacher in 2015 right you know I'm saying the middle school teacher in high in 2015 the elementary teacher in 2015 they're dealing with a lot of other things that I don't have to deal with. Right. You know what I'm saying? I teach at a private university. It costs a lot to go to this university. There's a high level. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the kids that I have in my class, they're there specifically to try to learn. And, you know, it's a big difference. So I commend people that, you know, take it upon themselves to educate in this day and age when there's no appreciation for it, there's no compensation for it, there's no admiration for it, and yet they still get up every day and go into a classroom full of students that may or may not even want to be in that class and do the hard work. Right. I have to commend that, yeah. you know. Yeah. Has this has this course changed your life, doctor? Um, and this has been a treat for me. This has been a high point. I've been doing this for about 21 years now mm-hmm. and this has been a high point for me. Just having these conversations with prof in the classroom has been transformative. It's a different level of understanding it's in a terms different frequency. of frequency. Oh yeah. Right. In terms of a culture that has influenced and informed me over the course of decades, this has been quite a treat. It also has given me a way to think about how I do my job differently, not just in terms of this course, Mm. but how I do my job differently now. You know, I I read somewhere on social media this weekend that uh, music is the sound of the emotion. Hmm. Um, and that got me to thinking, particularly in preparation for this episode, how um, when we think of the arts, like when we look at the arts, music is one of the strongest reflections of what religion must sound like. Is, does that come into your mind when you when you when you when you teach this course about how powerful the spirit is in music? Oh, for sure. That there's something poetic about life, right? Something poetic about life, and the arts, particularly music, captures this best. It understands and it connects to the rhythm of our lives in a way that other forms of expression just can't get. Right. And do you find also that certain frequencies of music also take away from the spirit? Take away from the spirit? I've, I've heard like, you know, certain patterns of, of rhythms, you know, we tend to get lulled by certain beats. 
by certain frequencies. That's an interesting. You know, just as music mm-hmm. can lift us. That's an interesting. If music concept. can lift us, music can also. Well, I, I I've seen music bring out the best in people, and I've seen. But those are people that are trying to do their best. Yes. So their music becomes the inspiration for them to do better. Right. And then you have people who are already in kind of a funk. And and we've and, seen music and, bring the worst out. In yeah, that's people, what I'm right? saying. Mm-hmm. But these are people who are already in very ugly places right. in life. Of course, of course. And then your music with the wrong tone and the wrong context, you know, basically sends them further down the road. Right. You know, that they don't need to be going down in the first right. place. So if you're in a good mood and happy comes on, you're in a better mood. Right. Of you know course, yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely agree yeah. with that because I remember back in the day listening to a local station right here called 106.7. I mean, I don't know, that doesn't go as far as Houston. But I remember being in relationships and hearing, like, sad songs and literally, like, like doing that because I, I felt sad and mm-hmm. I would be even more sad. And, and then you would wind up calling, you know, like a girlfriend that you broke up with because you listened to the song that made you... Oh, I had my heart broken yeah. when Entity Road came out, mm. Boys to Men. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So yeah. just that's... A, I don't care what kind of day I was having, well, that song comes more. on. Like, like, I'm old school, so I don't know... Like the deal. Anybody remember the deal yes, that was Baby Faces group? Of course, of course. Before that, so Sweet November, yes. like songs like that. <laughs> I couldn't stand to hear songs <laughs> like that. You know, like for me, a love song didn't have any code and context with me. Like old Osley Brother records and all that. Between the sheets, I had no idea what that right. kind of thing meant. Then you get older, and these these mm-hmm. songs that you heard have more meaning. Have more meaning, and right. for sometimes, like yo. I'm listening to this song for 15 years, and today I realize yeah. it's, it's about me. It's about, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It hits you where you live, yes. and it depends on the context. Gentlemen, once again, tell our audience where they can find this course and, and when they need to register. Uh, this course um, takes place on March 24th, Yes. so you need to register before then. Okay. You go to www.edx.org, org.com, because I made that mistake once right. or twice today, and look up Religion and Hip Hop. Its official course title is Relly R E L I one fifty seven X. If you have any trouble, so somewhere between religion and hip hop and Relly one fifty seven X at www.edx.org, you should have no problem filing this course. And, and it's an eight week course. Six, six weeks. weeks. Six, six weeks. weeks. Okay. Six weeks. Excellent. Anything else you want to leave our audience with? Man? No. Thank you for affording us the opportunity to come and talk about this. We know that this might not be as salacious as a lot of other things. Hey, that people man. Tend to talk this about is the Combat Jack Show, man. But this is something we feel very strongly about. We put a lot of time and a lot of effort into this. You know, this is not a job that we do for for money. We do this for passion. Right. You know, it's kind of like with me and Pete, which you got to eat this. We make like, me and Pete make like $5 a month. <laughs> so some beer money? Yeah, some beer money. But we don't make was... enough. Pete and I don't make enough to tip the waiter Oh, no. in these restaurants. <laughs> but, but, Yo, Complex, what's up, man? But the but the restaurant, hopefully, will take care of the bill. You what? Know? But, no, I mean, listen, that that's a hope is a joy. As as we're leaving this episode, I do want to say, like I said before, um, hip hop is definitely doing things like this. Like when he said, "This is not really like you know a, a big warranted where people like." But at the end of the day, this is this is what hip hop is. Right. Hip hop is, is is being diversified. Is being like like Bun, you know, a person that not only is a friend to me, but to this world is somebody that has shown people how to be so diversified. Has shown people how to not. You don't have to be put in a box. You know, I mean. You know, there's so many things that people know that Bun has done and that inspires and motivates and mentors and, and, and his friends and cares for people. But one thing I love most is that he always takes it to a next level. Yes. I mean, look. I every, every Bun B episode is a different yeah, type of episode. Oh, exactly. On, but not only that, he recently did a, like a couple of months ago, he did a Rembrandt commercial. Right. I mean, come on. Yeah. If that don't get more diversified yeah, than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait, by the way, how, how's the coloring book, man? 
Coloring book is good. Um, I love the coloring book, man. See, the, the the problem with the coloring book is that you know the the publishers would love for us to do more right. copies, but the guy that co that that draws the book and co creates all the different exercises with me, he has a regular life. He's yes. a you know he's a writer. We're talking about Shay, right? Yeah, Shay. So, so Shay, you know, he's doing writing for all these ESPN and all these other things. But Shay's a middle school teacher. Yes. He's a football coach. Yes. He's a father of what three now? Yes. You know what I'm saying and. You don't, you know, going from like this dude literally went from being like a science teacher to having the mayor come and say hi, and I want to buy like directly to mm, him, like right. I want to buy your book, right? And I'd love for you to sign my book and take a picture with me. It was pretty mind blowing, and this happened on a day that his family surprised him. We had a bookstore signing, wow, and in Houston, and um, we were literally like four blocks away from where the mayor had a speaking engagement, right? So as she was leaving, she was like, "Yo, what's going on over there?" And someone's like, I think Bun B is doing his book release. She's like, Oh, we got to stop. Yeah, we got to stop it and say what's now, up. No, we we, we got to see some more volumes of that because I think that you know, I mean that the- we want to do more. But again, right. like this is it's not easy for somebody who's not of this. Like, say for example, Doc. Yes, Doc does promo obviously. He's a book. He's published you know several books, so he's he had to go out and promote like, these yeah, kind of, of things. But not in this world. Right, not in right. this sense. Course, so this is a lot different. So if you're not. Of this world, like you know, it's, it's a lot, man. It could be a it's lot, a lot, man. Maybe, maybe next one will be a Combat Jack show page in there. Me, I you, actually know some people. <laughs> Shay did, send, Shay did send us send me the the, the Combat. Yeah, Jack. I know we we made for certain people that we sent the book earlier. Oh yeah, uh, he I love made all, yeah. Uh-huh. He made he made custom pages, yes, and I love that man. for the people that we sent them to. See, this this thing existed as a Tumblr before it was a book. Right. When we first pitched it, nobody really wanted to fuck with right. it. People didn't really get it. So what Shay did was he created a Tumblr, and then every couple of days he would create a new page to get people interested. And then when we re- redid it, he was like, yo, you know what? The stuff that doesn't make the book, like we still need to do other shit. So right. he came up with the idea of like, yo, when we send this to people early, maybe I should do pictures of them. I saw, I saw beat out from Rap Radar. I saw, saw a couple, a couple of images. Yeah, Rob was tripping. Like Rob Markman. Yeah, Rob Markman, yeah. Rob was tripping. Because <laughs> like, like, these guys, they don't get that. No, they don't. Know, my mom made it. My mom made it. Listen. Comment before we go with Dr. Anthony Penn. I want to say this. Um, you know, listening to you and your story, and especially the course and everything, I, I want to use the example as I talk about brands. You know, sometimes I feel like uh, they don't hire the right person to then, you know. Well, they it, don't hire people when they no, need no, to. No, no, no. But, but that's what we're talking about. No, no, no. Hold up. I'm going to explain to you. Right. They don't hire the right people that push and are able to push the buttons and really be authentic. And I feel like with with Dr. Anthony Penn being in Rice University and, and, and being that person that says, I'll take the chance and I'll do that, then he gives people a chance to really get that authentic, you know, push and culture and, and for people to really experience the realness of it. So I, I commend you on that, man. It's definitely dope. I appreciate you both. My attitude was, look, you asked me to come to Rice. You know who I am. Right. You know what I love. You know what I do. So let me do what I do. And there are circumstances when it's better to ask forgiveness than to ask permission. Of course. So Bun needed to co-teach with me. So I went to administration and said, this is what's going to happen. And I just want you to know. And they made the mistake of Googling. Rather than asking me, they Googled. Right. And so there were some issues. But I told them, look, you, you need to trust me to do what I do. Right. This is the way we need to go. And my attitude was you can't. Rice cannot talk about connecting to the 
Houston community without doing it. That's just bullshit. If you're going to talk about connecting to the community, we need to do it. Right. And this was a way to do it. I mean, and, and not saying that Bun is questionable, but no. at the end of the day, man, one of the greatest things about Jesus was he ran with he ran with a questionable crew. Right. He ran with a questionable crew. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, yeah. gentlemen, thank you once again. Um, let us know, you know, activate us, you know, help us help you, whatever it is that we need to do. We're definitely here for you guys. Appreciate you. You know, Pete, you know what it is. Dream those dreams and then man up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black or white and the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Blow. Numenati! This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Mena, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production.